Who likes change? A few people. I think we're pretty good here at change. If, if anybody's done alpha here, um, and I know a few of you will have done, or at least have seen the DVDs, um, Nicky Gumble, who runs the alpha, um, the whole, he sat it up, did the whole thing, talks of change a bit, and change within a church environment, and he talks of a church um, and a pastor who wants to men, in, implement change within his church, and the piano is on one side of the room, and he wants to move it to the other side, and he does it bit by bit over about 25 years, because people are not willing to embrace the change that he wants to implement. And that's sometimes how we are. We've seen a lot of change in the world at the moment. Um, we've seen two big events this year. Um, we've had Brexit, which is a definite um, change, a definite desire, I guess, for change. And, and uh, Mr. Farage keeps reminding us of that and the importance of the change being implemented now. And then we've seen quite a significant change in the United States um, where we've seen a non-political uh, member of society take the greatest and most powerful public office, I guess, in the world, which probably nobody expected. Um, and some things caused that change or those, both of those changes to come about which interests me, it fascinates me to see why these things happen um, and the motivation for them and why personally then we look at change and sometimes we struggle within it, uh, with it within our own lives. Um, you see, these big changes have come through a social desire to, to, to see something different. Um, I've got a, a quote here from one of my favourites, um, I always managed, this is my second reference actually this morning to cycling. I managed to get one in with Ray, didn't I? A guy called Sir Dave Brailsford, who has become quite a public figure. Um, he's done a lot in the cycling world in, in Brit with British Cycling. And he wrote this about change. And he said, change generally only comes when either the suffering is great enough or the reward big enough. Now, if you look at society People, I think, have got to a point, certainly in the United States, where they have said they've had enough of the status quo, which when I used to hear that, by the way, I always used to thought it was about the band. And my brother was a fan of status quo, and I always thought, why do they want to keep changing status quo? <laughs> 30 years later, I know why people want to change status quo, because they're exactly the same now as they were 30 years ago. They've released a new Christmas song. I heard it this week on Radio 2. Chris Evans played it. And within about four bars... I knew it was status quo, but there you go. There's some comfort in that, I guess. But sometimes people want to change the status quo. And I think the pain and suffering some people have felt in the United States particularly, I think the reference to Brexit is different, but in the United States has been motivated by that sense of pain, that sense that we can take no more of what we currently experience within our lives and corporately, if you like, as a body of people, they have implemented change. Now we all fear the consequence of the change, of course, which is another story altogether. But what I want to talk about this morning is personal change. Because occasionally we see these big events in society and we wonder what the consequences will be. And of course, we all live with those consequences. And yet we go back home after we've heard the news and we're back into the routine of life. And in truth, 
Has Brexit affected any of us personally yet? It probably hasn't. We've seen a few price changes. We've heard of a few stories of what may happen, but we live on happily as we were before. But personal change is a different matter altogether, isn't it? Because personal change is just that. It's personal to us. Um, And we often feel we don't need to make personal change, but really we know that we do. Um, Within ourselves, within our behavior, within our practices in life, our interaction with each other, um, what we do personally, we often want to motivate a change within all that, and yet often we don't do it. And I think what Dave Brailsford said is pretty true and pretty accurate, that most of the time, either the prize isn't, too, isn't big enough to motivate us to change, or the pain and suffering actually isn't enough. And so we don't. We live somewhere in between with a desire to change, a desire to move from one place to another, but little motivation to do something about it. Even when we do feel the pain and the cry for change, where do we go to try and find the mechanism, perhaps, for change? And often we look into the world to see what it can offer us, don't we? Um, And I heard a fascinating couple of radio interviews this week with a psychologist about the world of positive thinking and positive mindsets and how we can all reach our targets and goals in life through following the paths that are put in front of us. And so often that's what we do, of course. We look for what I guess you would call the quick fix in terms of how we can change things within our lives. Often it doesn't actually take us down the path that we want to, take, that we want to end and, and we wonder why. And that becomes a difficulty. Now as Christians... We have another context to this because we've all changed. If we've come to Christ, we've implemented a change in our lives. Theoretically, we were walking this way. We're now walking this way. Sometimes we're swimming against a very hard tide. Everybody else seems to be still going the other way. But we believe in that now. That's how we are. And yet we don't find everything changes quite as it should, do we? We struggle along with some of the stuff, some of the baggage from our past. Some of it seems to go overnight. I remember um, a good few years ago now experiencing this change, um, becoming a Christian, becoming born again, which means we begin again, we begin our lives again. Um, A strange concept for those that don't understand it because we're still physically here as we were, but something has awakened within us to change the course of our lives, to stop us going this way, and to turn us around, and suddenly we're going this way, and sometimes we're swimming as hard as we can against the tide, and we actually think, why am I going this way, when everybody else is still going that way? I don't know whether I want to do this anymore, and it's difficult to keep swimming, and, and, and we become a bit schizophrenic about what to do. Now, some things just go. I used to go to the pub quite regularly on a Friday night. I used to enjoy the pub on a Friday night. I probably enjoyed the pub on a Friday night too much. I probably enjoyed it more than anything else, actually, to the extent that I can remember when we moved house many years ago, measuring the distance between the pub and the house to see whether I could walk home on a Friday night. Because if I couldn't, we we weren't going to move. It was just going to be too far. 
Seriously, that, it was, that was it. And if I couldn't go on a Friday night or I had to drive on a Friday night, the whole weekend was destroyed. Now, when I became a Christian, I realized the consequences of that attitude upon other people, upon my family, um, and my selfishness within my desire to fulfill my own personal need, if you like. And I stopped doing it overnight. I had no difficulty doing it. I celebrated the fact that I no longer wanted to do it. And it was easy. It was great. You know, I wasn't swimming against a tide. I was, I was whizzing down the roller coaster. And yet other things haven't come quite so easy. Um, and that's where the difficulty lies. And I've got a scripture for you here. Well, first I should put the point up, I suppose. So there's only two points to this preach. The first one is this, the problem. Why do we desire to do the right thing and yet so often find ourselves doing the wrong thing? Now this is what Paul says about this. And this is taken from Romans 7, verse 15 to 20. And Paul says, I can anticipate the response that is coming I know that all God's commands are spiritual, more of that later, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Is it? It's certainly mine. Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more for if I know the law but still can't keep it and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I think I'm with Paul there, yeah? I realize that I don't have what it takes that's a confession, isn't it? Yeah. How often do we think we've got what it takes? We don't need anybody else. Now, I am like that. It's my way. And if you don't like doing it my way, you're in trouble. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, decisions such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Summarizes a lot of modern life, that, I think. How we are, how we desire to do one thing, find ourselves doing the other, find ourselves soaked in remorse and guilt. I hate personal hypocrisy, and yet I live in it. I, you know, when the pressure comes in life in a situation, I seem to detach myself from the desire to do the right thing, and my instinct takes over and I do other things, and then the moment passes, the storm passes if you like, the dust settles, the sun comes out, and all these puddles exist around me of my hypocrisy, of how I've acted, of what I've done, and it, it shames, it's what, it's what Dave was saying the sense of guilt within us when we're not doing what we want to do. And we find it every day, don't we? Now, one of the problems, of course, is this. And we believe, I think, 
but we're cleverer than we are. And we're instinctive creatures in one sense in how we act. Now, another thing I heard on the radio this week, you'll gather that I spend a lot of time in the car listening to the radio, I think, from the times I speak. Um, The other one was Radio 2. This was Radio 4 now, because I get bored with Radio 2 by about halfway through Ken Bruce. I'm okay up until... um, What's the music quiz he does? Popmaster. I'm okay till Popmaster's been, and then I I need to switch over. And certainly by the the time Jeremy Vine comes on, I've got Radio 2's gone. So I'm on to Radio 4, um, and the psychologist was talking on Radio 4, and it's a series through the week. So I'm trying to work my week out so I can be in the car at certain times so I can listen to the next edition. It's great, really. But that's how it works. And he did an experiment with people, and he demonstrated this experiment. And what he said to people was, try not thinking about a white polar bear for 30 seconds. And then he spoke with people, and he asked them to tell him what they were thinking about. And every single person that that did it, as they were beginning to speak, were describing things in their minds, and they could not get the polar bear out of their heads. And it's like the brain is is in conflict with what we want to tell it to do. We desire, as Paul said, to do one thing, and then the brain actually tries to fight us. Now, it's our brain. It's in here. It's nobody else's brain, and yet it fights us. And tries to prevent our actions being often as we desire them to be. In an instinctive way, if you like. What a bizarre concept. That we're not actually in control of our own motivations at times. And what drives those motivations. And I think if you you begin to try and understand what Paul's saying here. What Paul's trying to say is that he's come to Christ... And we know how Paul came to Christ, of course, with a a dramatic conversion from what he once did, persecuting uh, persecuting followers of Christ, to all of a sudden becoming like-minded, witnessing Christ within his life, and then moving on from that point. And yet still, Paul, of all people, expressed this conflict within himself. So we have to recognize, do we not, That's how we live. That despite the desire that we have for change, we also have a physical existence that is in constant conflict with that desire for change. And what I hope to be able to do a little bit is point you in a direction as to how we can implement some change to that that's effective by understanding what Christ wants us to be like, which is, of course, through Scripture. I haven't got the positive... Um, inspirational Paul McKenna hypnotic approach this morning that says, I'm going to transform all your lives. You're all going to go away this morning as millionaires, as beautiful people, as fantastic people, and away you go. And that's what happens with with life. That's what we are taught and told. Um, We switch the televisions on, and most of the time that's what we're told to be like. So I think we know that's not the case, and we know there has to be another way. Um, And that's what we're looking at here, as I say. So how do we pull ourselves away from our worldly desires and understand the motivation that's there that exists for a different way? But how do we ensure that that desire gets seen through? How do we prevent ourselves 
from falling back all the time. Now, as I say, there's, there's clearly a physical um, experience that we have of life. When we become born again, we begin to understand and open up something within ourselves that wasn't there perhaps previously, or even if it was there, we didn't understand what it was there. We call it the spiritual life, the, 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 the heart of ourselves. Um, now, I tried to get a definition of what that is, and I couldn't find one that, to me, articulated it in the best way. So I've come up with my own, which you may, you may or may not agree with. Um, but I think it's okay, this. But it's not scriptural, so if you don't like it, that's okay. What is, what is the spiritual being within us? I, I've put, I think, it's the everlasting purity within us. It's that which we truly are. Okay. The part of us that understands love, compassion, wisdom. Now, Paul recognized this. He recognized the spiritual command from God within Scripture. But he also recognized the physical existence that he had. And that's what he says. If you put the Scripture back up. whoever I can't see who's at the back today. I'm sorry. Um, this is what he says here. I know that, sorry, go back. I know that God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. At the time that he's writing that, he's in conflict with an understanding of a spiritual world and spiritual commands, but he's also struggling with the fact that he doesn't see himself that way because the evidence of his life conflicts with that. Now, I tried to find an analogy for this in day-to-day -day life, and I struggled for a while. And then something happened um, two weeks ago. And I decided to invest in Amazon Prime. And I did it because I've always loved Top Gear. And um, I didn't watch the Chris Evans version because that's the way I am. I'm, I'm loyal to Clarkson and Hammond and May. And I couldn't watch anybody else do the show. So I was desperately waiting for them to do something. And then the Grand Tour appeared, but it was on Amazon Prime, and it was going to cost £70 and a fire stick to get it, but I decided to do it anyway. And I did it the week before, so I got it for £60 instead, so I got a bargain. But anyway, we all sat down as a family and watched the first episode, and it was great. It was lovely. It was, it was exactly what I wanted. It was just as they were before, only better and bigger, and the cars were faster. It was wonderful. And then I was thinking, I watched it again with my brother the next night because he hasn't got Amazon Prime, so he came up to watch it. And he's coming again this Sunday because he wants to watch last Friday's as well. So that's all good because we're getting together and watching things together. But after, I thought about what had been on it. Um, and for those of you that haven't got Amazon Prime, you're more than welcome to come and watch it every week, by the way. We're having a new dining table actually next week. And man tells me it seats at, at a push 12 so if you want to come for something to eat, and then you watch Amazon Prime and watch the Grand Tour, that's okay with us. Okay. Anyway, back to the, the point. What was the point? <laughs> oh, yeah. The point was spirituality and the physical life. Um, and what I saw in it, they, they, had, they had some 
they don't even call them supercars now because they've gone to Amazon Prime and they've got a huge budget. They get hypercars now. And for those that don't know, what a hypercar is, is, is the latest version of the fastest um, possible cars you can imagine. And they had a Porsche um, and a McLaren P1, was it, Rob? You know the names of these things, don't you? And they were fantastic things. And, and, um, and a Ferrari. Which you have, Ferrari, they're just the best, aren't they? But two of the guys, Clarkson and Hammond, yeah, Le Ferrari, it's called a La Ferrari, I think, said to, to, to May, who May got the Ferrari, the other two got this, they knew about these cars. And they said, right, what we're going to do is we're going to have a race. So they're going to do a drag race. Okay, we all know that. The cars blast off. They do the quarter mile or whatever in like 0.3 seconds or whatever and it's wonderful to watch and then they said right we'll switch them over because these are hypercars have dual purpose engines like formula one cars really and they said right we're going to do it on electric motors now so Clarkson and Hammond are jumping about getting their cars ready and May says I can't do that he says why he says the Ferrari doesn't work that way why doesn't it work that way because it doesn't allow me to switch from one to the other so off they went, they did the, the electric race, and they just trundled along very, very slowly. But they still completed the course on the electric motors. And it made me think within our lives, how often we switch, don't we, from the physical to the spiritual, and then back to the physical, and then back to the spiritual. And that's often how we live, and that's what Paul was saying, I think, that he recognizes the spiritual, he recognizes what God wants him to be, how he wants him to live. But there's a bit of, of, us, of us all as well that looks towards the physical, and it's a bit faster actually at the moment than the spiritual at times, and it's easier to get hold of, and it's going to get you there quicker from A to B. So you go that way. But then you realize, well, it's Sunday morning you come to church, oh, we need to be spiritual again. So you switch across to the other side. And we keep flipping from the one to the other. The desire is there to live one way, but then we find ourselves falling into the trap of living the other way. And that's how those two cars were. Now, the wonderful Ferrari has an alternative way, a Christian way. <laughs> and the way the Ferrari works is it doesn't have a switch that goes into petrol or into electric. It's a, it's a version of a motor that works harmoniously together. So that when the petrol engine's working, it's charging the electric engine. And when the electric engine's working, it's feeding the petrol engine. And it's a wonderful analogy, I think, of how we should be with our lives. That the quest for spiritual uh, gratification and the desire to fulfill God's promises and God's purposes. And Paul, of course, is talking a spiritual law. So at that point in his life, he's still trying to follow a law. Now, we don't have to do that anymore because we're in relationship with Christ. So our spiritual being, if we allow it to be filled with Jesus, runs forever and runs harmoniously. But we still live in the world. We still experience life through our senses with this body. We still understand the world in the context of what it is. So we have to have that engagement with both. Otherwise, we'll keep flipping from the one to the other, from the one to the other. But one way is easier, isn't it, often than the other way? And that's why we fall into it. I've got a book here, quite a meaty book, actually. For those of you under 20, that's how we understood the world before we had to go on Google 
And I still like books, I must be honest. But that is a sign of being 45, isn't it? And older. And I've nearly finished it. That's impressive. Come on, that's impressive, a book of that size. And it's called A Brief History of Mankind. Can you believe we can get all of our experiences of life in a book that small, actually? But anyway, this guy, and it's very interesting, but I won't go into the whole book because we've only got six minutes left. This guy writes this, and I thought this was worth saying. Most previous, he's he's talking about society, and particularly modern society and how we've developed. Most previous ethical systems presented people with a pretty tough deal. This is us here today, actually. They were promised paradise, but only if they cultivated compassion and tolerance, overcame craving and anger, and restrained their selfish interests. Now, that's kind of what Paul's saying about, isn't he? He understands the goal. He understands the prize, but all this stuff still exists, and it's very tempting, and it's actually in the way most of the time. This was too tough for most. The history of ethics is a sad tale of woeful ideals that nobody can live up to. Most Christians did not imitate Christ. Most Buddhists failed to follow Buddha, and most Confucians would have caused Confucius a temper tantrum. You'll have to look Confucius up on Google to understand what he's all about, because I don't know. But anyway, in contrast, most people today successfully live up to the capitalist, consumerist ideal. The new ethic promises paradise on condition that the rich remain greedy and spend their time making more money and that the masses give free rein to their cravings and passions and buy more and more. Oh dear, what have we done? This is the first religion in history whose followers actually do what they're asked to do. How though do we know that we're really getting paradise in return? We've seen it on TV. Now, that's how modern life often is, isn't it? And that's the the trap that we fall into. The temptations are so, so great. And even if we try and follow the regulations and the laws of the Bible, we'll fall into the trap of feeling that we failed. But there is a solution. Can we have the point, please? There it is. There is a solution. And Paul understood this solution, but he didn't get it overnight like that. He was born again, and he understood about Christ, but he still lived as a man, and he still struggled and battled along for some time. But he came to a conclusion. Now, I've got a scripture first from from Christ, which actually sums it up. But you have to understand the context of this, of course. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, when we're talking of spiritual connection and what we talk about in terms of me saying everlasting purity within that which you truly are, we have to figure out how we connect ourselves with God to enable us to live that life that we desire, to enable the, um, the swimming against the tide actually to become something that isn't quite so tiresome because it is at times. Remember, Christ said, my burden is light. Okay, so if we're, if we're living and we're struggling with the, the tension and the pressure and the anxieties of life, we have to remember this. 
Now, what I see so often within myself, and we sing it, don't we? We sing of freedom. We sing Christ has brought freedom to us all. And then we feel heavy and lethargic and anxious and fearful. And I see this image sometimes of myself getting to the door in the morning to go out and God looking down upon me and God saying, why have you put those chains back upon yourself? Why are you dragging all that stuff behind you that's heavy and tiresome? My burden is light. And the problem is we fasten it back upon ourselves and we forget what the purpose of our lives is. We lose touch with our spiritual inner core and we get distracted by the world and all that it consumes us with. And we've actually wrapped ourselves back up. There's some other boxes, of course, that we never gave to God in the first place. And those are the difficult ones because sometimes we haven't even opened them and given them over to him. Now, the psalmist said, I think it's Psalm 55, I haven't put it down. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. How do we do that? We can't physically do that. We can't physically give God our anxiety, our fear, our ailments, our difficulties, our failings, our, our, our lack. We can't do it physically, but we can do it spiritually. We can engage with Christ and therefore with God in a spiritual sense by having this awakening within ourselves, by living for him, by switching off from the world, by looking towards him, and then re-engaging with the world, with the driving power source within us being him. Now, Paul got to a point, if you can put the last scripture up, please, where he grasped this, and he clearly felt it was important enough to write down. So, Philippians 4 verse 12 says this, I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. Now, contentment to me means free from anxiety, fear, lack, guilt, remorse, all those difficult things. You can't exist with those and contentment within your life at the same time. So he's learned to overcome them. I'm just as happy with little as with much. Even 2,000 years ago, Paul lived in a consumeristic society. So often we think the history of mankind up to our lives was probably easy. We look back through rose-tinted spectacles at times gone by and perhaps think they were easier than ours. They were no different. The human condition was just as it is today as it was then. It was just different things to buy. We maybe had no iPhones, but Paul had his equivalent of an iPhone. So the sensation of life, the feeling of worth, um, of success was just the same. And yet he'd learned to live with as little as with much. So it's not saying that you abandon the world. Paul's not saying you get rid of everything and the iPhones are bad and the Ferraris are bad. Paul's merely saying he's learned to live with the alternatives. He's learned to live with, with plenty as he's learned to live with little. Because he's not influenced and affected so much anymore by the physical experience of the world. Because the driving force within him is Christ. 
and he understands Christ and he has relationship with Christ. So that drives his, his opinions and his views upon all that he sees around him. I found the recipe for being happy. We should give that to Paul McKenna, really, shouldn't we? And all those that preach happiness through certain goal-based attainment in life that so often destroys people because they fail to achieve the goals that they were promised and then they're destroyed in who they are. Paul found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything. All those boxes that you've fastened back upon yourself and all those that you've left in the cupboard because you daren't expose them to the world, let alone to God. Paul's learned to live through anything. He's learned to give them all over to Christ. And he does it by investing in the one who makes me who I am. And I think that's wonderful. Uh, Rich, if you want to come and tinker your keys as you do at the end. So if you think back to the everlasting purity that I talk of there, that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the understanding of the relationship with Christ as the engine within us. Because if we live with the fast car analogy and we constantly have to go back to the petrol station to refuel our lives with petrol, what when the petrol runs out or when the wallet's empty of money? We exist then with the, the wonderful, beautiful Ferrari but no means to drive it because there's no fuel left in the tank. Whereas there is an alternative that provides an everlasting fuel source. And that alternative is Jesus. And it's easy to diminish that and to forget that as we go through the day-to-day -day existence that we have and to fail to recognize that power source that is within us that's perhaps easy to remember on a Sunday morning when the atmosphere is good and the songs are good and the harmony's there. But it exists for all time because it's not a series of laws anymore. It's a living relationship that you all have as individuals with Christ. And this is the purpose of our lives now if we choose to accept it, that we can live free from those difficulties that we had. We can live free from anxiety, fear, remorse, disappointment. We can cast all those things upon to him. We can. You have to believe this, that we can. I can say these words. That's what I, I don't have the answer. Paul articulates it better than me. It's a journey that we go through in life, that we learn. As Paul said, I learn this experience. And we have to work at that learning process. But if we fill ourselves, if we engage with Christ, and we do that through replicating him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are the three answers. He is the way. Not me today. Not Paul when he speaks here. Not when we switch the television on and get some good ideas about stuff. He is the way. Every time we come back to him, 
So when difficulties come, when the storms rage in our lives as they do, we come back to him. We don't have to refer we don't have to refer to the book. We don't have to refer to the Bible. We have a living God within us. We learn about him from the Bible, but we develop the relationship within ourselves. And he is the way. He is the truth and the only truth. The only truth that exists and will fulfill us through our days. And he is the life. And he came as a life because he understood this. God knew that our time on this earth was full of these challenges and difficulties. He'd given us a set of laws to live by, but he knew that we couldn't fulfill them because of our weakness. So he sent Christ to save us and to give us an example as to how to live. And that's a wonderful opportunity that we have today to live out what he wants us to live like and to be a power source for him, to drive forward in our worlds and to do what we can for him and to live with contentment and happiness. Now, I don't think that's a bad way of living. And that's what hopefully I can leave you with today in terms of an opportunity to change any difficulties that you may have. Not through me or anybody else, but through him. Okay, that's, that's good to me. That's good news to me. I like that. So I want to finish in prayer. Father, words can come easy at times, actions harder. I pray that we can reflect upon what you give us, Lord, that we can reflect and consider how to live our lives for the best, Lord. Not to focus upon our failings, to know that by your grace we're loved by you no matter what we do God no matter what we do your love never diminishes for us and that if we desire change within who we are we do so through seeking out your ways Lord not ours so often our will appears to be the strongest in our lives but I pray this morning that your will be done, not ours, in who we are. That we can live real lives in a practical way, but driven by the spiritual force that's within us, Lord. That comes from relationship with you and you alone. I thank you for these people here this morning. I pray for them for the week ahead, Lord. And I also pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you in this way, that doesn't feel or understand this concept of being born again, but that wants to do something about that, that wants to change their own lives and to accept you, Jesus, as their Savior, I pray they're able to be bold enough today to make that decision. And if they want us to help them with that decision, they can simply put their hand up. We can offer them guidance and support on this new journey. 
If there's anybody today that wants to do that, then a phone message is okay as well as putting your hand up. That's fine. Then please let us know. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day and all that it holds for us. Amen.